Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. In this episode, we bring episode nine of the infamous YouTube show, Athletics LLC. Today, they talk about responsibilities. I think you're going to highly enjoy this one. Hopefully, you've caught episodes one through eight. If not, go check them all out. We'll continue to bring this highly value-bringing show to you on a weekly basis. So without further ado, please help me welcome episode nine, Responsibilities from Athletics LLC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fun episode of Athletics LLC. As promised, I'm going to go right to left instead of left to right. So we're going to start this evening off with Lucius. Good evening, everyone. Lamar Johnson Ryan III. Well, hi, What? <laughs> and last but definitely not least, Clyde. Good evening, everyone. Big League, I see you have a... a a new setup and magically uh, Lamar does not I'm <laughs> lost. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, when we're is, off, <laughs> where I live is low rent, man. They keep, they put Con- me in the basement. Con- me shut up. Congrats on the new dig big league. Congrats. Right. I know it's summertime. <laughs> I had to relocate. The, the dining room wasn't kicking it anymore. I <laughs> had the sunshine. Are you like Ron, Ron Burgundy? Do you have many leather bound books? What? It's a it's a good movie. It's a good that was a good reference, Lucius. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, stay classy in the corner, okay? Stay classy. See, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to start off by addressing a unaddressed, not identified topic from last week that was brought to my attention. So um, we had addressed the malfunctions of the team qualifications of our cross country championships. Uh, but we wanted to add a little clarification for the individuals. So, uh, Sir Lucius, if you don't mind, take that away. Well, I, I think that when it comes to the, the individual stuff, um, there's always been a thing in place that if you're an individual that's on a team, the top whatever number is chosen qualifies for the next level. That's always been a thing. So I don't, I'm not sure, you know, I think Lamar mentioned it earlier. I'm not sure that part of it's broken. I think the bigger issue will be how do individuals that don't have a team get qualified for the first round, the regional part of it. So that's something obviously, you know, that's something a committee has to come up with. I mean, I'm sure that it happens in golf. I'm sure it happens in tennis, um, some of the other team slash individual type sports. And, you know, that's for, you know, that's, that's above our pay grade. They'll have to figure that out, you know, but uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, and also something was mentioned to me also that, um, we, they thought we were saying that they ran the AK at the regional level. I am aware they run the 10K at the regional level, but they do qualify all year long getting points by running 8K. So let me clarify that. We are very aware that they run 10K at the regional level, but you do garner points at 8K throughout the year, and 8K and 10K is quite a disparity. So, Yeah, one plus one does not equal two. Not, not in this case. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, well, let's get the night started. Uh, We've got some great topics tonight, and let's start off with some of some of 
the NCAA climate that's being addressed out there. Um, with NCAA sports being physically, physically responsible, where can we trim some of that fat without actually cutting off the whole piece of meat? Where, how do we save our programs and our coaches, but still make some impact within our financial means that the NCAA is imparting on us? Um, yeah, I, I can go first on this one. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that the biggest thing for me is that we talk a lot about these athletic associations and these universities being businesses, and, and therefore they have to be business-minded. And so when you're out there building facilities, building, you know, these, these uh, cathedrals for football, not, not for the, not the track cathedral, we need to leave that one alone. <laughs> um, but I think that we have to keep in mind that, you know, if you can't afford to run your, all your programs, we shouldn't be pouring tons and millions, you know, millions of dollars into facilities that you use for three or four months, you know? Yeah, I understand it's 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 a game of uh, the finances, who has the prettiest this and the most that, but you know there's people's lives involved here. Um, you know, there's there's children involved, and I think that we have to think about that. So if you run it more like a business where you're trying to make a gain at the end of the year, it's not about how big and how pretty you can build. If you can't afford it, don't do that. I think those are definitely places you could cut back, and you could save programs, and you could save well. Coaches. After you, sir. Um, for me, I would agree with all of that. Uh, for me, this has always been an interesting topic. The, the keeping up with the Joneses is obviously a, a big way that we have a, whatever you want to call it, waste, fraud, and abuse um, within the uh, NCAA sports realm. But for me, I look at it more so to drill down in, into individual sports and the way that they may conduct business. For example, I never understand, I never understood, and I've had things thrown at me for suggestions, but I don't understand the idea that during football season, a home football team needs to spend money on hotel rooms. At my previous school, I assure you that the home hotel budget for the football team was equal to or bigger than the entire track and field's travel budget. I understand that football makes the most money. I understand that basketball makes a lot of money, but they also waste a lot of money. And so I think that before departments get into the nitty gritty of trying to reduce salaries, cut programs, fire coaches, I think that if you wanna save the most money, if we're gonna all have to be more fiscally responsible, I think you gotta ask that same sacrifice from the people who burn the most through the most cash. And that's obviously the quote unquote revenue sports, which is a term that I have an issue with in general. But to me, though, that's a, that's a really big example of something that I know instantly could save small programs at school X, Y, and Z, if you would just eliminate that reality. Now the pushback that I've gotten on that from, from certain people have been, oh, the football players need to stay in the hotels before their home football games. It's a safety issue. I'm like, really? Are they somehow in more danger Monday through Thursday than they would be on Friday and Saturday? I don't really understand that idea at all. I mean, I know you got fans and stuff, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Those kind of examples, you know, don't make sense. Uh, I, 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 couldn't, I could not agree with that particular example 
anymore. Uh, I've, I think I've, of all the things that money gets spent on at collegiate programs, I think that's the one that's never made any sense to me. And I think what made it worse is when I was at, when I was at Boise State, I asked Coach Pete about it, like why they didn't do it. And he just said, and then he, he, what he said to me was it didn't make any sense. So here's one of the best football programs in the entire country that won the most games in, in, in the 90s and, and the 2000s, and they don't do it. So, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. I think uh, from, from the perspective of other sports and doing things that you can do, um, although it might be somewhat inconvenient, I think if all of, if all of our track meets were uh, other than conference meets, were, if they were all one day instead of two, that will be a humongous savings that would allow us still to, for the most part, compete our seasons. Um, I think if you kept the majority, like if it's a sport where there's a conference tournament, like that's how you qualify for the national meet, then it doesn't matter that you play somebody three time zones away. I would say eliminate that and make, you know, baseball, basketball, volleyball, trap, make, make their schedules much more regional there's no need to travel two and three time zones when you have to go through your time zone to get to the national championship, which at the end of the day, collegiately is what we're supposed to be doing. Um, I think for the most part, track has done that. We don't very often do, do three time zone travels anymore. We used to, um, and every now and again it happens. But, you know, I just think just simple things like that. Like, let's just see what that does. If you eliminated football, football teams staying in hotels at home games, and you made track meets one one day instead of two, and you made travel for all team sports regional, I think that savings saves everybody's job. And, and, I, and I think, you know, Clyde spoke to the point of this, is to keep it up with the Joneses deal. And you think that if so, so-and-so down the street's doing it, then I have to do it as well. But you have to do what's best for your program and what's, you know, what's – what you can afford, let's just put it out there. You can't afford it, don't do it. You know, I think another thing too is sometimes you get caught up with, you know, well, I heard that this, this school X built this, so we need to have it also. And, you know, I've had people say to me, well, I need this to win. No, what you need to win is you need great athletes, a competent coaching staff, and the guts to go out and coach them hard every day. That's what wins, that's what wins in any sport. But, you know, a new facility, um, you know, more, more travel and all that stuff. If those are things that kids are looking for, then I'm not interested. I want, I want athletes that want to come here, one, and get a great education, and two, that are willing to get, get, their, get their hands a little dirty. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. I mean, <laughs> the, the shiny toys yes. that a lot of people use to sign recruits i've been winning playing against that game for a long time like yeah school x got all that but at the end of the day you got one squat, squat rack at a time that you're gonna lift in and yeah the tracks beat up but at the end of the day olympians can train on it so why can't you train on it you know now having landed in the power five you know i'm like oh wow we have all these we have all these toys out here and it's amazing but it doesn't make the kids run any faster. It doesn't make the, the coaches coach any better. And no. so I've always been, you know, slightly blown away with, with like the keeping up with the Joneses. Just, it just drives me crazy because there are so many people that are trying to do it. They do it badly. And ultimately the entire department suffers for it. 
And the Joneses, you should be trying to keep up with other ones that are winning. And exactly. I don't mean by, by buying the things that they have. I mean by performing at the level that they perform. That's Absolutely. how you can with the Joneses. Absolutely. I think, uh, I, think a, I think a lot of departments, if they take a different viewpoint of how to trim versus, versus looking at it at what we should trim, I think that they would go get a lot more stretch out of the dollars that they're trying to, to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so keeping in the, the realm of money and, and elevating the level a little bit, uh, let's talk about these shoe companies and how we generate revenue within our sport. Um, are they helping us? Are they hurting us? Are they the root of our problem? Um, what is our stance on that? Are they, are they going to help us? I don't know if persevere is quite the word I want to use, but prosper maybe. If, if we're talking about, I mean, obviously if we're just talking about, you know, they do a phenomenal job of helping the, the colleges and universities and the, the things that they do then. But I think we're talking about the effect they have on the sport globally. And, the, you know, as my man Clyde likes to talk about that middle you know, faction that needs to be protected. I think that the big contracts that the shoe companies award these athletes is a big part of the problem because then there's no, there's no trickle down, there's no money left. And so those are the people that get left out. So I think that if there was a more of a system like some of the other professional sports have, you know, where there's a rookie cap on how much money you can make, um, that you have to go out and earn these, these huge contracts that they come from winning medals and stuff like that, not just from running fast or jumping far one time, I think that would change the whole thing. But that's going to be something that it's kind of like, you know, Clyde just talked about keeping up with the Joneses. Well, if shoe company X is going to pay you 500,000, I'm going to offer you six. And then the price just goes up and up and up. And, you know, I think that that's a huge problem as far as the global effect of development in the sport. Because yeah. those kids can't, that middle faction can't afford to live. You know, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I'm kind of torn on that actually. On one hand, the shoe companies being involved in our sport are probably the reason that our sport has been able to survive. They Absolutely. Might have Absolutely. To, yes. to what we've done. But I think their presence and their exclusive presence also limit the potential growth for what our sport can be. I don't know why our sport has to be purely backed by shoe companies like i don't understand that and i don't i don't understand the business behind why administrator x y and z can't go out and get a more um a more broad array of sponsorship dollars from a, from totally different ent entities and i think if the shoe companies didn't have such a monopoly on the way things function in our sport ultimately that would serve everybody better but I honestly don't know the mechanism to how that would happen or why it can't happen. Mm -hmm. Are we sure that the shoe companies are the problem when it comes to getting other sponsorships? I don't get the, the sense of them. I get the sense that it's the World Athletic Congress, whatever they call themselves these days. Right, and, and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, don't, I don't blame, you know, like we all understand right. Nike is the huge benefactor of USA Track and Field. I don't blame Nike for that. That's not Nike's problem. Right. But why don't we have Ten of those, like why? You know, why can't we have different entities? Maybe not another shoe company per se, because obviously that would be a conflict of interest for Nike. 
But mm-hmm. why, you know, why, whatever, if Nike's going to put up $5 million, why can't Coca-Cola put up the same $5 million? And why do we not have people working in those positions to make that kind of stuff happen? Like, I don't under, I, I've never understood that. I know that's for you on that one, Claude. <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, but I, but I have Lamar to do Lamar got yeah. the answer. We're waiting on it. I, I don't know that I have the answer, but I, I do know that we can, I think we can do, dif- do business differently and, and do a much, be, be much better stewards over the amount of money that the shoe companies do put into our sport. Um, individually, I, I mean, Lucius hit that directly on the head. At the end of the day, I don't care how good of an athlete you were in college, you should not be immediately paid five times the amount of somebody that's won the last two medals in your event. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and, and I don't necessarily want to cap on anybody, but I do think some common sense should like, at the end of the day, if I look at two people and one's got two NCAA championships and the other one has no NCAA championships and two Olympic medals, no way the NCAA champions should be getting outpaid. You know what I mean? Unless there's like a 20 year age difference and the first person is like at the end. Like I get that, but that's not where we're at most times. Like most times someone who's good, who's currently good gets their money cut in order to pay the hot new collegiate. And that doesn't make any sense. That's part of what runs people out of our sport and makes people bitter within our sport. What I would love to see happen, what I would love to see happen is foundational wealth being spread spread into the sport. What is the thing we've, we've beat this to death on four or five shows. We need a North American tour. We need more meets. I would love to see one shoe company sponsor a meet, just a meet, meaning it's not only Nike athletes, it's not only Adidas athletes, but it's a track meet, like partner with USA Track and Field to put together a meet, partner with uh, Canadian Athletics to put together a meet. Like I would love to see that happen. Um, and then to, to Clyde's point, that, that brings in the ability to go after more and more variant sponsors because then there's other places that they can get product placement. Right now, the way we have it is pretty much like you got one logo on your uniform and you got the athletes. Unless you're one of like four sponsors that are willing to kick in a large amount of dough to USA Track and Field or World Athletics from the global perspective. But for the most part, there's way more billboards out there if, if we would change the model and, and offer different things. If we put together a series and said, hey, look, you can sponsor an entire track meet. So all the commercials for that whole track meet like every third commercial is going to be yours. Like those kind of things I, I think are out there. And that would, that would build uh, the, the belly. Like we like to talk about Clyde's people that, that would build a, uh, a foundational platform for, for the belly group to go from collegiate to belly to elite. Because right now what happens is like, they end up being, you know, like raisins that, that dry up on the vine, right? Like they're, they're hot coming out of college, but not quite hot enough or they're not in quite hot enough of an event, or they got hurt at the wrong time. And then the next two years, which we all know the first year out of college is the hardest. And the next year, if you don't have a shoot contract is literally make or break. So if, if you haven't done something in, in the first two years after college, it's very difficult to continue doing this. Sport. I, I would, I'd, I'd like to drill down on, on that, on that particular point a little bit about the, the, the rookie contracts and the, the spare, the spare the, the gaps between, you know, the people that deserve them and the people that haven't earned them yet. Isn't part of the problem that ultimately 
the, the companies that are signing these contracts are, are playing a very sinister game of, um, you know, it, it's, it's sinister guesswork from where I sit. It's, you know what, we're going to bet on the age rather than what we know to be true. Because we all understand that our, our sport might be the most cutthroat when it comes to a, what have you done for me lately sport. And it's because the Olympic cycles control the contracts and the Olympics ain't but four years apart. So it's like, yeah, you did this, you know, at the last Olympics, but we need to know what's going to happen four years ago. And usually the companies are, are taking the bet that, eh, if you're 28, four years from now, I'd rather put my money on the 19-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's part of the, the bad equation, if, if I put it that way. They're, they're mm -hmm. making a very sinister bet. Well, I think the biggest problem you have is, is they're making bet on people that have never been, been in the competitive fire, you know? And so you, you take an athlete that wins the NCAA championship that's never even participated in a USA championships. And because they ran really fast against people that were nearly as fast as they were, you throw a bunch of money at them. And I've always said this, you know, you run 9-8 and second place is 9-9 high or 10-0. Different story when you run a 9-8 against 9-8 because then you're 9-8 because you're not used to that level of competition. You're going to run 10 up. And then now you got a shoe company that wasted a bunch of money. And I think that you're better served that, you know, we all talk about this too. You're usually the average of your top five times. So yeah. you go in and you, you yeah. run, you know, you run some very fast time that's two tenths faster you've ever run in your life. Uh, let, me see, let me see you do that again before I give you this big chunk of money. Let me see you do that against the people that are running just as fast as you are. That's what I want to see. You know, I think that's the biggest problem. And I think, obviously, you know, Lamar doesn't like the thought of a rookie cap, but there has to be something done to say, you know, we got to stop giving, you know, because there's a lot of money to get spent on, on athletes that just never perform well again. Lucius, would, would, you say, would you say that that reality is um, equal or in the same ballpark as the previous discussion we were just having? The companies are trying to keep up with the Joneses. The Russian, I want to buy up all the rookie talent hoping mm -hmm. one or two of them pop because at the end of the day, we still got our money and we can always just cut mm -hmm. them and move on to the next yeah. thing. See, and, and, you, and you have the super classes of people that make it. You know, obviously, Rye and, and, and Sid were good buys, you know. Um, but, you know, they're also not in the, the sprint events. You know, they're in, they're in longer events where, you know, it's not quite as intense, let's say. But, you know, there's also a bunch of people out there that have been given a bunch of money that we never hear from again. And that's, that's a problem. I think that you're absolutely right. You know, you look at some of the young sprinters that were signed earlier this year. Um, uh, one of them wouldn't have won the NCAA championships this year. I mean, and, and I think it's, it's just funny to me, like, how sometimes like, people just aren't paying attention to what else is out there. Like, look, Aries Meredith is a world record holder, but when Aries signed his contract, he was grossly overpaid. He didn't, earn, he didn't own that contract till like six or seven years into it. I said it. It's true. I love the man, but it's just, it's true. Right? And the pro hurdlers and the pro hurdlers at the time took it out on him for Absolutely. years. They took yes, it they out did. on him for years. But now look at last year's class. Well, I guess it's this year's class, right? Look, if, whatever money you throw at Grant or Daniel is good money. Because if you look at the landscape, like you're paying for two guys that, that – their times put them in the final, right? And they've run. See, but, see, but see, you know, that's, that's, that, that's, no, that doesn't work because the people that you pay for, that, that their times, you know, we, you know, we talk about 1075, that, that makes them the champion. 
All right there. No, 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 no. If you take Grant's top five and you take Daniel's top five and average it, yeah, but that's not they, what you said. See, you, well, you, 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 you I said their times. Sorry, sir. I'm on the same page as you. Their average. I'm, I'm just making sure because you know you will go off on your own book every now and then. Nah, it, it sounded like you went <laughs> PR. It did. It sounded like it did. It did. Yeah. I got, I got my smart juice today, so I'm saying this. <laughs> you look like you're going to need it. The average group. The average of those two dudes. That's a smart buy today, <laughs> right? But if you took if, in college, you took if, if you took Aries's top five, that's not six hundred thousand dollars a year. No chance. Well, okay, but it, but realistically, is it, you know I'm not trying to dog anybody. There's nobody that came out that's worth six hundred thousand dollars a year because they haven't done anything. That's my point. You know, and I'm glad. Look, I'm not hating on anybody. I'm glad these people are good, good contracts. But it's killing the rest of the sport. And then yeah. the shoe companies, you know, they're battling over people that aren't battle tested. Would, let me let me ask you all this: Would, would you feel different? Because I think we all agree on on the for lack of a better term, rookie cap in some kind of way. Would we feel differently about it if the reality was, if the reality was not that in order to pay these youngings, we know vets with medals are being taken off the books? Well, I think it, that's the worst part of it. Right. See, that, see no, I, would, me, I wouldn't feel different. I mean, I think, okay, even, even, if, even if the vets are still getting taken care of, which in my, you know, this, I'm not, it's not my company, but it's my company. I'm going to take care of the people that take care of me, okay? I'm not going to push people out the door that have done well for me. But at the end of the day, I'm also not going to overpay people, okay? Because I think they might get a medal. I think they might perform well over time. You know, this, this is, it's just very risky. Very risky. I, I mean, I, But again, I think that if the sport's better, if there is some kind of a rookie cap, so you can pay the veterans. And then they don't get pushed out because, you know, you get, they get older, they have a bad year. Oh, you're done. I'm not, I'm not renewing. I'm cutting you back. You know, that, and that, in my opinion, that shouldn't happen. You know, especially to some of the stars this happened to. I mean, I think to, to Lucius's point, like, again, if I'm running the shoe companies, I pay salaries that make sense. And I set up ridiculous bonus structures because at the end of the day, like, hey, you earn that. If you can kill mm -hmm. me a water buffalo, I'll pay for that. You know what I mean? But I'm not, I'm, I, I don't want to pay you because I think you can go kill the water buffalo. You know what I mean? I don't want to pay you because I think you're a good hunter. I want to pay you because you came back out of the woods with some. That was a better analogy. The, the water buffalo thing was a little big. Water buffalo was big, man. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's in the juice. That's why. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, talking about top tier and, you know, those competing for those top positions. Um, looking into the Olympics 2021 now, who are some of the top rivalries that we're looking forward to seeing? Who are we going to watch? Fight it out, bet it out. All right, the Birdman is, he's ready. Let's, let's let, let, him, let him go. Let, let, let him go. go. Uh, you know what, I'm not even going to take hey, them all. Let the rant begin. <laughs> I'm not even going to take them all. I'm just going to take two. Uh, oh, wow, okay. I, I am without question looking forward to uh, the two young guns in the hurdles, because I do believe that they're both going to make the team, and I do believe they're both going to make the final, and I do believe it's going to be a bloodbath all the way to the finish. Somebody's falling in, at the finish line with blood all over their chest. And two, I, look, I think that the men's 400 hurdles, so I'm not going to take – I know Chuck wants the women's 400 hurdles, so I'm going to – the men's 400 hurdles is going to be ridiculous. I think if – 
I, I think if Samba and and uh, Warholm, Samba and Warholm show up ready and 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 prepared, and John Wick shows up with his dog, like it's gonna be a fight to the end. And at some point in time, some announcer is gonna call the wrong person winning that race. Like I think it's gonna do one of these numbers down the stretch. And uh, I, I am here for it. I'm popping popcorn to watch that. Wow. Okay. He's, he's going to use the good butter that day. Absolutely. <laughs> what you got, Clyde? Uh, first of all, what I have is a slap upside the head of uh, Mr. Lamar there because he tried to play me. I did. As if he didn't already know that the men's 400 hurdles is by far. Yes. Only <laughs> if you tell me. Well, there's one event that I want to watch next year. It's the men's four in the hurdles, and he knows this. So he Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's cute and well played, sir. But no, listen, the, it's the men's four in the hurdles. It, it's not, to me, it's not even, it, it, as far as excitement goes, as far as the war that I want to see and the little nuances that come along with it, to me, it's like a boxing match because we all know styles make fights. And what Rye Benjamin is capable of doing and the different tools that he can bring to that race versus what Warholm wants to do versus what Samba, no one really knows what Samba's thing is. Like, Samba's the wild card, man. It, well, right. And you could, and honestly, you could throw in some other people into there as the wild card too. Like there's like legitimately to me, there's four or five dudes that can come up with a medal, but it's clearly those three. And to me, I just want to see it play out because I think stylistically, I think from a competitive standpoint, I think it could be epic at a level that, of performance that we just really haven't seen. And I still hold to the case that if Rye does what he is capable of doing, Rye's the one in that mix that can run 45 seconds. I believe that boy can run 45 seconds. I don't think the others can because they're not fast enough, but he can. But in order to run that race that way, he's going to have to commit to things that would blow most people's minds. And so to me, that's the most exciting field. And then of course, from a purely American side, I don't care what year it is, the women's 100 meter hurdles are always a bloodbath. You have no idea who's gonna make that team. There, there's no way you could ever predict that. And we have too many just fabulous talents in that event. And at the, the reality of that event is there are gonna be four or five women left home that could easily sweep the medal count. So that's always a favorite for me to watch. I don't care if I'm, if I have a dog in that fight or not. I love watching that. Okay. Um, and, I, and I am a big fan of the men's 400 hurdles, um, but I, I'm really excited. I want to see the women's 400. Um, I, I think after what Nasser did this year, um, I, I, knowing Lance and Shawnee, I think that there's a, there's a big comeback planned. You know, I think that, that I think that's going to be a big battle. I think the men's hundreds going to be freaking fantastic. I do. You know, I, I just I just think that with Coleman and Baker and Wiles is talking about running it. I, I just think it's, it's I think it's going to get hot and if somebody's going to show up. You know, I was going to say, isn't Dragon Ball Z doing the double? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so um, obviously I, I've got a, I've got some stake in the men's high hurdle race. And um, I do agree it's going to be quite the bloodbath. You know, I think it's, you know, you got two great young competitors who were both hungry. And I think that's going to be a phenomenal race. 
Um, I think the women's 400 hurdles, um, it's time for 51 seconds. There's oh, no doubt about that. that that's, that's coming. coming. You know, that's those two, I don't – I think the, the biggest thing is if those two are healthy and ready to run, like who's no, who's going to be third? Yeah, it's just those two. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so like, like who, like who gets third just even to make our team, right? Like that, that's that. You know, I think, I think that's that's huge. And I think that if you really delve into it, I want, the, and I don't know if it's going to be a great race. I want to see the men's four hundred be a great race. You know, I think because I think the talent is there. You got the Bahamian, you got the Americans. You, you know, there's, you know, you, you got guys like Karani James are just kind of floating around out there. You know, like let's let's make that race again. It's like a, a killer i'd love to see that and the, yeah, you no, said the women's, the women, the women's hundred hurdles like you know just put them out in the middle of the street and 12 lanes instead of, instead of eight. <laughs> yeah, you know what let me let me add to that I, at least for me the men's 400 mm-hmm. isn't as sexy unless wade van Niekirk is back and ready to run because mm-hmm. i don't care whoever wins whoever regardless of what they run if that dude isn't in the on the track in the final I'm going to be the person be like, yeah, but what if Wade well, well, Now, Stevie you know I mean? breaks the world record. Wade ain't got to be in it. That makes it sexy. Well, that, that's fine. That, hey, if now, someone, if someone now the lead up might not be as sexy, but if those jokers run 43. If, if someone's running 42.9, then that's 42.9, cool. yeah. You know, that, that, that's record. Cool. Yeah. And, and, and let me add this, not because of the spectacularness of it, but because of the just, uh, at least from the American perspective, I'm I'm really waiting to watch the women's hundred meter dash at the Olympic trials for the total opposite of the women's hurdles where we have four or five women who are going to be left home that should be medalists in the women's hundred. Who's the team? We have no, like there's no discernible threat coming out of America right now in the hundred meter dash. Not right now. Not right now. And is anyone going to challenge the Jamaicans? We have no idea. I couldn't tell you who's a who's a favorite to make that team. It's the most wide open as far as an American sprint I've ever seen. The men's side, we got three or four guys that we know are going to be the mix to make the team. The women, I have no idea. That that, that would be hard to argue, you know. But you know, it's it's the United States. It's the Olympic year. Um, there'll be some ten sevens and ten eight show up. Yeah, but by who? Well, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) nobody knows. (laughs) I mean, okay, we can start guessing. I don't, I mean, you know, I mean, there, there, there's, there's two or three girls that train over in Baton Rouge that think they can do it, you know. There's a young lady, a couple of ladies training here in Florida that think they can do it. You know, I'm sure that, you know, there's somebody out in California somewhere, you know, you know, our girl Smitty G's probably got something up her sleeve, you know. I know you got a young lady that you work with that thinks she can make that team as well. So, um, and she's the only one that has run 10-8, so, at, at the big stage. Um, I think that uh, I agree that you can't pick a favorite. You can't pick the team right now. But also, like I said, it's the United States. It's the Olympic trials. They're going to show up, and it's going to be hot, and it's going to be fun. I know if they have the Olympic final on the turn, I know who are going to win. They don't don't have that. (laughs) So we don't have to go there. One one field event caveat. I was just going to say. I was was going to say that too. Assuming that that all parties are healthy, I I am always here for what is this like round ten of Will Clay and Christian Taylor? Yeah, take the words right out of my mouth. Okay, right, right? well, you know assuming what? they all everybody's healthy, I mean, 
it, it's the combination of will versus Christian and Christian versus the world record. Because I know in Christian's mind, the only piece that he has left in his legacy to be the greatest of all time is a world record. Because mm-hmm. he got everything else. Okay, so if we're if we're going to take a focused attention onto the field, and we should, we often neglect the field, and we all understand that. Shame on us. Shame on us. Shame but, on y'all. No, what you mean? <laughs> you didn't say nothing about it. You should have been guy. You never talk about it. This bit more nothing shame at all. on you. Let, let me, I went let, first, so I only took two. Hey, let, let me say. Time. Let me say. Nah, you go clean it up again, Adam. Right, right. He's take dancing. Take again. a sip. Take a sip. Let yes. me say this you, unequivocally. Unequivocally. The greatest competition I've ever seen, and I wasn't there in purpose, oh, in person. The greatest competition I ever saw was the Doha shot put, men. Yeah. And you're talking about everybody's healthy, everybody's ready to go. That right there is an incredible, incredible group of people that I would pay any amount of money to watch compete. The men with an extra year to right train. Now. Just think hey. about that. We're talking about shot putters with an extra year to lift. Hey, listen, it was it was phenomenal. The drama of it, the back and forth, that that was fantastic. And that that's a hell of a group. And I, and I would you know pay whatever to watch that for sure. Nice. I, I like those highlights that 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 close out of highlights will keep everybody on their seats and uh, in their seats and watch. If we can fight off COVID-19. So, so I, I have a question. I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm play Clyde here and give a little back question. OK. So who are some athletes that you guys would like to see overcome injury, overcome age, or whatever it is, and get back to the big stage and show the potential that you think that they, um, that, that, that you think they have? Mm. Tiana. See, that's too easy. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that, I mean that's easy. And that's why is it too easy? It is. It is too easy. You know what, man? That, that's my spirit. See, see, if you asked the question and we answered it like that, you would jump all over us. Okay, I just oh, gave. What answer. about Wade? I mean, you guys were just talking about him. Oh, okay. the, I mean, Wade Van Eekirk is 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 on the men's side. Wade Van Eekirk is mine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Will, Will Clay is mine for real. Okay. Will Clay hasn't missed anything though, so that doesn't count. I, you said come back from things. I know not everybody knows what he's coming back from, but touche, touche. Um, I on the women's side, if I'm gonna stay in the field, um, my my personal investment in it aside, the women's long jump isn't as good if T and Brittany aren't ready to go. Now that Mahambo has jumped seven thirty. I would love to watch Tiana and Brittany at their best battling the person who's sitting right now with the world championship when neither one of them were in the final at seven at with a PR at seven thirty. That would be a fantastic thing to watch. And obviously I have, you know, personal investment in that, but you know, on the women's side out on the track, come track back. Field, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to say Allison because we all know that she's trying to, to make this run. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. Does anybody think Allison's not going to come back prepared to curb stop people next year? Uh, like, she was really good last year when she had a kid. She got a whole year. I, I, I mean, I, I, mean I, would, I, would, I, I just think that's just, it's just assumed that Allison's going to make the team. That's what I mean. Like I, I think I, think, I don't think anybody thinks she's not going to make the team and not going to make the final. 
I, I think, okay, so, but, but it's Allison, right? So making the team, that's not good enough. Making the final, that's not good enough. The question is, can Allison Felix battle who I consider to be the righteous world record holder and oops, the second best of all time, Shawnee Miller, because that's where that event is right now. Take, take the, you know, the crazy madness of the past that we all know was tainted out of the picture and you got the world record holder and the second best ever in their prime right now. Can she crack that? Because that's what everybody's waiting to see. No one cares if she's on the team and makes the final and fits, finishes sixth or seventh. I mean, who cares? Like, well, can I, she you know, I'm, I'm going to bet on um, Allison and Bobby. You know, you got two of the best ever to do it. And if anybody can, they will. Um, for me, um, I, I really want to see Marquise Dindy get back to being that guy. You know, that, that's my opinion. You know, obviously, I you know, not really have a, a personal stake in it because he's a Gator. But, I mean, I know his talent. I know he's battled a lot of injuries. I'd love to see him get back to where, you know, where I know he could be. You know, I'm, I'm personally pulling for T. That's my homegirl. I, I think that she's uh, – you know, the, the, the pride and passion she brings to the runway uh, when she's right and, and Brittany's right, that's, that's, that's a wonderful thing to watch. You know, I really love to see that. See, Dendy's an interesting case for me because we all understand how talented that dude is. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we've never got to, we never got to see him on those stages yet. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's a dude, like, we're like, oh, my God, if anybody can step in there and be the next person to legitimately threaten Will and Clay, I always thought about him and just, he's, you know, too much bad luck, you know, something. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. We, I'd love to see that. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that, that's my big one right there. I'm really, really pulling for him. I mean, I know this is odd cause I don't, this person hasn't been injured, but for whatever reason, like I would like to see Ajay Wilson win. I, I, I mean, she just <laughs> seems like, she just seems like she has been nothing but like elegant. She never says anything bad. She never does anything that I've seen. She had the one little meat scandal, but like, you know what I mean? Like she's, it's just, all she's done is just show up and be classy. She lost last year and it was one of the most classy, you know, things I've ever seen someone do. And so I guess if I'm rooting for someone that I, that I have no rooting interest in other than I just think she's pretty cool. It's like, I would love to see her win. Oh, you know what? I just, I just thought of one. I just thought of one. Corey Carter. I'd love mm-hmm. to see Corey Carter return to form because when she was right, when she won that world championship, a lot of people were blown away by it because she wasn't, you know, the favorite. But she stepped up there and took that title. Didn't you and call I, that? I mean, I might have called it, but <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, I'm trying to give you some props because I know you told me you thought she was gonna win. I did. Okay. I did, but a lot of other people didn't. A lot of other people didn't. I'm just trying to give you. I'm trying to give you. I was, I was gonna leave, I was, listen. I was trying not to be petty because in this context, there was no reason for me to be petty. No, I want. Look, I'm not being petty. I'm just giving you props. You told me you thought she was gonna win. I appreciate that, but no. I, do, do, and do I think Corey can run 51? I have no idea. But the the third person in that mix between Corey, between Ashley, between Shamir Little. Like, that's a really, really, really talented group of women. And, you know, again, there's going to be two metal potentials that will be left at home from that group. But, you know, Corey hasn't been right the last last few years, and I'd like to see her be in that mix competitive. Plus, we need need the final. We need Corey in the final so we can see the Corey Carter warm-up face again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I think for me on the women's side, I'd really like to see Kyra Jefferson get back to where I know she can be. And obviously that's personal for me as well. 
And um, I, I just lost her name all of a sudden. The young lady that fell from Oregon. Uh, Deja Stevens. Deja Stevens. Wow, oh, I just, I just think she's yeah. phenomenal. And I, I would love to see her. You talk about a girl that's run 11-0 and run 22-0 and split 49. I mean, um, I'd love to see her get back. I'd love to see uh, Shakima Wimley. Because I, th- I thought she was on a, on a great ascent to, to, being, to, do, to doing very well in the 400. Um, you know, I think people like that, there's, I just think there's going to be some surprises next year. And I'm, I'm excited to watch that. You know, I'm excited to be a part of that and just, you know, see Olympic trials. It's in the cathedral, as my man Clyde says. And it's, it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know, I, I, do have, I do have one more field of enter that I'm, I'm de- that's, that's coming back from injury that I'm definitely rooting for. And that's uh, because I think he's had an incredible career and an incredible impact on his event. But Eric Kennard. You know, like I, I, I am really looking forward to him being back and healthy and bouncing because look, when that dude's talking to the bar and, and he's doing yeah. all the things he does, <laughs> he is great for our sport, man. And he's yeah, he really talented and he's he a is, lot yeah. of fun. And I mean, hell, I mean, he, the dude's sponsored by, by, by Jordan. Like that's a big deal for our sport. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so like, I, I do root for, I do root for him because He's, he's never done it any way but the, but the right way. Um, he's always been a gracious and humble young man. And, uh, again, basically, you know, in a quiet fashion, just, on, you know, when he's there, he does what he does and he entertains. But other than that, you don't hear anything but, but good things out of him. Yeah. Well, let's take it one notch further than that. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Right. Uh-oh. What you got? So, who are we crowning the queen? The goat, the all-time 100-meter sprinter. U.S. U.S. Yeah. Okay. Let me give you the parameters of the state. Yeah. Come on. We're talking about U.S. limited, and we're going to differentiate. We're going to do one for the collegiates and one for the pros, so they can differ. Okay. So, 100-meter goat, USA, professional level, collegiate level, women. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I guess I haven't gone first yet, so I guess I have to eat that one. <laughs> you gotta pick. You gotta pick your topics wisely. <laughs> okay. Well, on the professional side, I think I think uh, all of us and and whatever audience we we trickle in with here uh, needs some context. So here's the list. Okay. Number one for by time, the time list is Flojo, Jet, Marion Jones. That's the top three. It's English Gardner at number four. It's Shikari Richardson at number five. Evelyn Ashford at number six. Don Sewell at number seven. Tori Edwards at number eight. Piana Bartoletta at number nine. And Tori Bowie is number 10. But understand, eight, nine, and 10 all have the same PR, 1078. So those are the top 10 women on the list, all time 100 meters. If you're asking me, to me, anyone outside of that list is out of the conversation. So to me, if you're asking me to choose the GOAT from that list, oh man, it's a tough, tough choice between Jet and between um, Evelyn Ashford. And for me, Given 
who she had to compete against in the era that she had to compete, I'm taking Evelyn Ashford. That's my GOAT, women's 100 meters for the U.S. I'll circle back for the collegiate. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll, I'll go next. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's not somebody that's even on the list. I, yeah. My, my, the GOAT for me is, is uh, Gail Devers, two-time Olympic champion. You just, you just can't beat that. And, okay. you know, she – did this all while also doubling up on a pretty daggum good in the, in the hurdles. But, you know, she was a world champion. She's an Olympic champion. She made, I think, four Olympic teams. But the big thing is she won the Olympics back-to-back. And so when you're talking about the GOAT, she showed up when it counted the most on the biggest stage that there is in track and field, and she won. You know, and, and she did it. She did it with grace. She did it with class. So Gail's might go to that level for the, for the USA. Bravo, I knew one of you would do that. Gail, officially, for those that don't know, sits number 12 on that list. At, at 10, what, 82? Yep, number 12 yeah. on that list at 10, 82. I, so, you know, I guess the problem for me is the only two contenders in my mind are, are Gail and Evelyn. And uh, that's a tough one for me to, to separate them. Um, Gail won twice. Evelyn was racing dudes. So it's, I mean. <laughs> it is what it is. Look, it is, I mean, I, I'm not even, like, that's not even a joke. She was racing. Gail was racing dudes too then. Come on now. Nah, no, 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 no. It, look, in the hey, 70s. Clyde would say, check the tape. Hey, check I'm the checking tape. the tape. In the 70s and early 80s, Evelyn was racing against females that were taking so much growth hormone and so many different combinations of steroids, they were not discernible as females anymore. Um, but I'll say, so in my mind, basically the way I pick is like, look, if those two raced each other, who wins? First off, I'm definitely popping popcorn and sitting there and watching every ounce of that. And I would love to see the, have the announcer announce that. I, Otto would be a great announcer for that race. Yes, he, he, would bring up, he would bring up some really good stuff. Um, but I, I guess I just I'd have to I'd have to agree with Lucius that like at the end of the day, I believe Evelyn would never lose to anybody, but Gail didn't. Right. And I, at the end of the day, like I kind of gotta go with that. Like back to back Olympic champion and like while she was doubling no less. It's just See, and, and, and that was tough for me because I'm a big Evelyn fan. We've talked about Evelyn before. I love that. But like it's hard to back to back. I mean it just it just makes it tough, you know. I I agree. It would be a heck of a race. Gail's jumping out. Evelyn's coming hard the last twenty meters. There's a big lean at the line, as there always is with Gail. You know, whether it's Evelyn's husband Ray coming out of the stands to grab her, or whether it's Bobby coming out to grab Gail. You know, this week we got which one it is. You know, and those are two of the nicest people on the planet. And and after the race, there would be this gigantic hug between the two of them. Yes. Now, now you, you know that uh, we are going to get pushback. Okay. We're going, to get, we're going to get pushback from the, how is Flojo not the GOAT? We're going to get pushback from the, from the Marion Jones. Okay, okay so, so here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. From the 1064. Okay, 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 okay. okay. look, phenomenal year. Yeah. We, we went through the same thing we talked about Aries. Look, Aries is the world record holder. He had a phenomenal year. Does not make him the greatest of all time. Um, is Flojo the fastest of all time? Absolutely. But when it comes to the GOAT conversation, I, I look more at the overall career type of thing. And she didn't win two, 
two Olympic uh, 100 meter titles. So that's for me. So push back all you want. Just like we get pushed back on other stuff. Hey, it's my opinion. You got yours. And, and not just that. Like, I think, <laughs> like, I'm not sure it'd be funny. I think the people we would get pushback from are people who don't. You got to live a little bit. And you got to see you got to see all see the entire field before you can you can give an answer like that. Like, look, Carl Lewis is not now, nor has he ever been the world record holder in the long jump. And I don't think anybody, including Mike Powell, would ever argue that Carl was the greatest long jumper of all time. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like, he just doesn't have the world record. You know, like, no one will ever repeat uh, FloJo's year. Like, I don't think that's I don't think it, that's ever coming back. Like, I don't think anybody's going to run and just curb stomp everybody the way she did that year. But unfortunately, we did, like, we got a year of that. Like, 21 7 was second in the 21 34 race. Nobody yeah. knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> Not even in the picture frame. So, okay. don't get me wrong. I think, I think Florence was an incredible athlete. She did incredible things. She had a phenomenal year and, more importantly, a phenomenal summer. Um, and she did some other good things along the way. But, you know, for me, for uh, my GOAT conversation, I'm going with Gail because she won back-to-back Olympic 100-meter titles. Okay. So I guess I got to circle back around and go first with the collegiates. Actually, the collegiates isn't really difficult for me. And I'm, and I'm going to go all the way homer on that. I know. Exactly. It's Angela Williams. I knew yes. that was it's Angela Williams. Freshman, won it. Sophomore, won it. Junior, won it. Senior, won it. And I don't remember many of those races being all that close. It's Angela Williams. And uh, we're not going to argue about this one. It's Angela Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even close. And, like, like the, and the thing was, is like, the, the beauty of Angela was, like, there was a one year where there was iffy, you know, and she kind of cruised to the semifinal, and people were like, ah, oh, we got a chance. And going off in the final, just like every other year, by 20 meters or so, you know. And so – you know, that, that one's not much for conversation. I think we might probably have to circle back around and talk about some of the people behind her because she is clearly number one. I, I mean, like, maybe we, Lamar might have a different story. Listen. You know, he got his juice. <laughs> for me, like, not only is it Angela Williams number one, like, she's not just a GOAT. Like, look, she did something that most, that most women don't do. Like, she was the best high school senior. Right. Right. Like we look, there've been a whole like the, like if you look at the national all time list in the in the girls hundred, that is a litany of wow you were really good when you were fourteen and fifteen, and for and she was she was a monster as a high school senior and then got to her freshman year is like y'all just older than me beat all them and then it just got worse and then her senior year when she was a little bit off and everybody else was running out of their mind. There was people in the stands betting that Angela was finally going to lose. And I was like, I will take all of those bets. Every one of those bets. Because I'm like, I'm never betting against somebody who has beaten everybody all the time. And what, and then, you know, I think she's also, I will say another topic, as far as lead off the 4 by one on the collegiate level, that ain't close. That's Angela Williams. Because <laughs> she ran but, by whoever was in front of her. <laughs> But, but I will say this, like, I think the collegiate women's hundred is a lot like the pro hundred. I will tell you this, Dawn Sowell's her senior year, there was not a human being alive that was ever going to beat her collegiate. Right. In anything. But it was a year. But it was a year. Yeah. Right. And, and, the, and the bad part, the, the thing that sucks is that we didn't get to see like phenomenal, because the sport was different then, we didn't get to see phenomenal professional careers out of either one of them 
But I think if they had come along now, we would have. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, I like know. like Dawn would have got offered like six hundred grand out of out of college, and she would have ran track as opposed to going to like live life. You know, and Angela would have got offered that kind of money, and she would have ran track like as a pro. And, and not gone on to live life. And Angela did come back later on and, and win the World Indoor Championships in the 60s. Yeah. He did. But you know what I'm saying. Like, look, well, no, I'm just saying, yeah. We, I think we all would have loved to seen them, like, peak them their next three or four years as pros if we could have seen mm-hmm. it. Because it would have been amazing. Yeah. Man, a, a lot of people, and, and for me, you know, me and Angela Williams are roughly about the same age. So I got to watch this from age group all the way through yeah. and take take the professional stuff out of it if, if if there was no pro track you could make the case that angie was the greatest sprinter ever yeah she dominated everything she had at one point you look at at one point you look at the yes. national record book she had them all yes like she did. all of them right. angie was nuts man and it was like oh my gosh she broke angela williams record you know? right right <laughs> that, that's the new right exactly yeah yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that um, that's the people like, I'll just give you something, but I loved, I, I, I loved the way they handled the event. Um, I thought the young lady from Alabama, I can't think of her name right now, um, a few years back was the Jamaican girl. She was, I thought her race model was really nice. Um, I think Aaliyah Hobbs was, was nice to watch. I mean, she really set it up well. She transitioned well. Um, uh, I, I think that uh, the Oregon girls, when they were on, um, Prandini and that crew that they were fun to watch um, there's, a lot, there's been a lot of good ones out there I, I mean for me like just fun to watch I mean I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm much older than Clyde but Gwen, Gwen Torrance in college in that Georgia uniform she was tough <laughs> what like look it's not a, it was not a technical video to watch but from a competitive standpoint what? Take shoes off, run in the street, she's winning for sure. <laughs> like race no, Gwen, from like Gwen, race Gwen. from manhole cover to manhole cover. I got Gwen. Gwen. Gwen was really tough. She was. She was. Got it. Well, uh, I'm gonna turn the dial a little bit and we're gonna address the elephant that's in all of our yards at this point. Yes. Uh, I know. The water buffalo. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Let's let's <laughs> let's escort that bad boy in. Um, let's address our current social climate. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are going on right now in our backyards, in our cities, um, specifically where everyone's located. You know, um, there are going to be some, there are a lot of emotions being felt. Uh, what are your thoughts? Where are your stances? You know, how are we feeling right about now? Um, I have had every wave of emotional possible over the last couple of weeks. Um, I've uh, been mad. I've been pissed. I've teared up. Um, I've been sick to my stomach. Um, you know, this is something that's been going on for far too long. Um, I, I just don't, it's just, it's just hard to even talk about. But this is not a black problem. You know, this is a societal problem. This is a problem that is only ever going to stop. It's only ever going to come to an end when people of all colors band together to make it stop. You know, it's, 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 it's a voting problem. It's a, it's a voice problem. You know, it's a problem with, with if you have, if you are 
Caucasian and you have Caucasian friends and you allow them to tell jokes about African-Americans and disparage other races, then you're just as wrong as they are. Silence simply means acceptance in this case. And until we stand together, it's not gonna stop. I'm 60 years old and you know, you'd like to believe that things have gotten better. And just when you think that they're a little better, you wake up to the news that we've had over the last, not just, you know, this last few weeks has been horrid and you realize nothing's really changed. As Will Smith said, it's just being recorded now. Uh, uh, um, very much like Lucius, I think I have had every emotion uh, in the last three or four days <laughs> that that my body will produce. Um, I, in no order, I have been fearful because I I have two young black boys. Uh, I have been angry. Um, I have been sorrowful. I have, I've been just disillusioned. Like, where do I live? And, and, and I've, I've been asked or forced to play educator to, to some people. Some I didn't mind. Some I was angry that I had to educate. Um, I've had to defend uh, some things that should never have had to be defended. And I think for me, where, where, we're, where we're at at this point is just that I don't think that, that, that black people will take any further excuses, meaning at this point in time, I think that the black people in America require everyone who is not black to pick a side. They're, the silent majority, like I, I've said this the last three days, the silence has been deafening. And the silent majority no longer gets to sit back in the, in the, in the weeds and, and respond to tweets and texts that are safe. But then when issues, real issues come up and you put out tweets or texts, they are noticeably absent in your mentions. And I think where most African-Americans are, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but this is just my, what I think based on what I've seen and what I've read, most African-Americans are now at the point where they want everybody they know to, to take a side, weigh in as to where you're at. And look, where you are is where you are. I'm not gonna necessarily feel good or bad about you, but I just need to know where you are. And, and I think that where we're at, as a group, as, as a people, like, we just can't deal with the silence anymore. You know, look, I'm, I'm looking at statistics and African Americans make up 13% of the US population and 40%, which is the plurality of members in, in prison. That can only happen if you're being targeted because because the, the numbers just don't make any sense. There's no way that there should be more African-Americans in jail than there are Caucasians or anybody else because we don't make enough of, we don't make up enough of the population for that to be true. And I think where it's been most poignant for me, and, and look, I had a very visceral and very, very good conversation with, with a white male cop friend of mine. And, and I, I, I feel very, very adamant about this. 
the world changed for, for African-Americans in 1992 because we knew that blacks had been being vilified by racist Caucasian cops for a long time, but, but we never had proof that they couldn't deny. And in 1992, we saw a black man get beat almost to death by seven racist cops. And I think all of us thought, well, now we're gonna get some retribution because they can't get past this, it's on videotape. And when those guys got uh, acquitted, I think that was the straw that, that broke the camel's back in the African-American community as far as belief in the system. And here it is, that was 92, this is 2020. So 28 years later, the exact same thing happened, only this time worse. We watch a black man get murdered on, on live television in an eight and a half minute slow death. And it took social media just to get the, the oppressors arrested. And, and so I think where we're at is just like, look, the system is, it, it's not just broken. It needs to be like burnt and torn down. And we need to have real live answers as to what, what comes next, because I don't think that we, we can tolerate any more like excuses or conversation about like how we should have faith in the system. Cause there's no reason to have faith in the system. Oh man, <clears throat> uh, beautifully stated by both of you guys. And, and I agree with all of that. For me, I think, I think as individuals, obviously the three of us are very, very different. We are born into different families. We have different belief structures. We have different life experiences. We're different ages. We have different cultural makeups. And for me, I think that all of us bring our own context to how we react to these horrific times. For me, I have felt like I am watching and being saturated by ignorance in all forms, on all sides, across the board. I, I am a product of a black man an Italian woman. And my entire life, I've been subject to having to have these battles on both sides of these issues. And it's draining, it's ridiculous. And there's so much ignorance that comes with it. My little sister, who I love, who has two kids, I don't have any, calls me on this past Sunday and wants me to go downtown to, with, to Oakland with her to participate in the protest. And I had to tell her, you know, I process my rage a, a lot different than, you know, most people may expect me to. I'm not a protester. I'm not against protest. I think protest is amazing. I think civil unrest is needed and necessary. But I also think that in today's culture, of quick answers and not a lot of study. I don't think that, that there is much strategy behind the reaction to what we're witnessing. The protests of the civil rights movement worked, not because they were only protesting, but because there were people working in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, they had strategy, they had a plan in place. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that we're witnessing on the TV, people in the street, 
I think it's mostly based on the raw emotion of watching that man get murdered in the street. And I understand the emotion. And I applaud people getting out there and letting their voices be heard. But I saw a beautiful tape on, I guess it was YouTube. I put it on my Facebook page. It was in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. And there was uh, a man in his mid forties, a black man. And he was very, very, very upset to the point of screaming in tears. And he was ready to burn the city down. And there was another gentleman who was 31 who was imploring him to think about what he was doing and about what the effects of this response were going to be in the moment and in the future. And in the middle of that conversation, the 31-year-old man pulled a child over to them who was 16. And he tells the 16-year-old, he said, look, man, this dude is hurt and pissed at 45. I'm hurt and pissed at 31. I did this exact same shit three, four years ago when the last dude was killed in the city. We have to find a better way. And it can't just be the raw emotion of protest. It can't just be hashtags. And half the people out there in the street, man, they're out there for the gram. They're out there for the gram, black and white alike. They're out there for the gram. It's the sexy thing to do. Everybody's looking for their space to be recognized and show that they're down for the cause. And I want to know who's putting real strategy, real thought behind how these things need to change. Because we've been doing a lot of the same stuff for a long time and we're still here. So for me, I'd rather focus my energy and my responses on putting some critical thinking behind how it is that we as black people can better serve ourselves out of this problem and how they as white people can get in the fight in the way that they need to. Because the fact of the matter is the minorities cannot solve this problem because the problem is rooted in the majority. It's not our problem to fix. We didn't create it. We didn't build structures. We're not responsible for this. And so I'm happy to talk to my black friends and my black family members and my black colleagues about these issues of pain and suffering and everything that we're doing. And then apparently I'm also, and a lot of us are also put in the position where we have to be the spokesperson and the, 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 uh, the linguistic experts for our white friends who don't really seem to get it. And I always start with, well, are you really trying to get it? Cause it's just not that complicated. It's really not that complicated. So for me, you know, I, I'm a person who feels like you're not in the you're not in a position to come at the next person until you know you're doing what you need to do. And so for me and mine, I'm like, look, if you're 18 and up and you're black and you're upset, if you ain't registered to vote, you're going about this the wrong way. If you're not organizing people in your community to take your anger out, not by burning a building, but by burning down the politicians that are in place, that are setting these laws, not at the presidential level. We all understand we have no leadership at that level, but it's the local leadership that determines where your money gets spent. If you're mad about how much money the police have for tanks and armored vehicles and all this other stuff, that, those decisions get made at the local level. So you have to be strategic 
in where you place your anger, where you place your vitriol and come up with systematic plans for systematic change. And like I said, for the, for the people in our community who are so upset that all they can see is red, all cops are bad, all white people are evil, that's not true. No. And you know how that's I know that's not true? That's not true because my mother's a white woman and she's not evil, okay? I have family members who are police officers who work in government. All government officials are not bad and evil. Not everybody's against us, and we have to learn how to recognize our friends, recognize our allies, and work together, work collectively to get ourselves out of this mess. But at the end of the day, the one, the one big thing I am imploring everybody who listens to me on these subjects is, this is not Black people's problem to fix. We did not create this. We cannot fix it. We have to have our allies in the majority with, who have the heart and the willingness to step this up. And if they're not willing to do it, I don't really see how it gets done. But it damn sure does not get done by standing in the street. It has to get done behind the scenes, in the voting booths, through organization and strategy. I, I totally agree, um, Clyde. I think that, you know, our buddy George Williams, who we were taking the task for leaving him out of a conversation last week. But, um, you know, one of George's favorite things is you can't know the play if you're not in the huddle. And this is a huddle we have to all be in together. It just can't be blacks in the huddle. It just can't be whites in the huddle. Everybody has to be in the huddle. And we have to be running the same play. And my thing is this, is that this is not a problem that's going to be fixed in two days or two weeks or two months. This is, a, this is something that's going to have to be in for the long haul. You know, and I, my, I'm imploring people, we need to stand together. Don't stand behind me. You know, stand beside me. Fight with me. I need you to fight with me today, tomorrow, two years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, because this fight is going, it, it didn't, it's just not going to go away. You know, you know my, my cousin posted something. Um, he talked to his mom, who was 89 years old. And he was telling her what was going on. And her thing was, you know, we have been being disrespected since they took us out of the holes of the ships back when we were slaves. That's right. Yeah, that's very prophetic. Yeah, that's, that's my, that's, that's and, she's my cousin. And, and, you know what, to that point, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out the quote by George, because one, it's one of my favorite things that he says, and he says it yes. often. But it, it's, it's apropos right now, because people need to understand that there are plays afoot. We are so easily manipulated by nonsense. Like, mm -hmm. it's easy to complain about the, the drama and, and, and the, the sideshow that's coming out of Washington, D.C. But you gotta understand, that man is many, many things. He ain't stupid. He knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And if we continue to dance to those kind of strings, we're going to fall right back into the trap of false equivalency of it's all the same of there's no difference in who it, it all matters. It all matters. Every little piece of this has to be strategic and, and, and man, it's complicated. Like people that know me best, people that know me best, like I, I said, mother's white, my mother's side of the family is Italian. My mother is an ally. My grandmother was an ally. My grandfather was absolutely not. My grandfather was a racist bigot. He hated the fact that his grandchildren were half gutter people, a quote from him. Now, loved me, supported me, helped raise me, but I knew that it disgusted him 
And I knew that as a very young child. So there's a lot of nuance to all of this. Families are tough, communities are tough, and, it's, and no one's gonna be able to run to their corners and fix this. It, it doesn't work that way. It, it's never gonna work that way. So if, if there's not a way to do this in unison with our allies, like, and if, if we don't get, if we don't, if we do not unite as a people, as a society, then my great great grandchildren will be dealing with these same problems. Absolutely, that's a fact. Um, I I I would say, look, I don't think anybody necessarily has all the answers, but if you go on Twitter and you look up Emmanuel Acho. There's a, there's a nine minute video that I posted to my pages, or reposted, I guess, um, called Dear White People. It's, it's the first episode and there will be many others. And it's the best and most enlightening nine minutes that, that you can watch if you are not black and want to understand where black people are. It's done eloquently. It is not done in rage. It, and if you watch that nine minutes, I promise you, you'll never ask, what can I do? What should I do? You'll never ask those questions because you will have a real simple explanation and your marching orders. So I, I would challenge everybody who watches the show who is not black, go on Twitter, look up Emmanuel Acho, look up Dear White People. It's nine minutes, I think, and 20 seconds. And then repost it because you'll get it and not just that you if you repost it none of your other non-black friends will ask you why you posted it because there's no ambiguity to it it's not racist race race you know it's not racist charged it's not out of anger it's an educational piece as to look here's the facts here's why we are the way we are and it and the we is a broad we because look if you just look at this show there's three different black men on this show. And although we are great friends, clearly we are very different. Um, and then secondly- uh, Are you gonna leave Big League out of the conversation? No, no, yeah, I was just, let me finish. You. I was gonna say, secondly- yeah, Get to it, I you should have started with her. Come on now, ladies first. Oh, because right? I wanted to finish with her. <laughs> because secondly, what I wanted to say is, there's by no means any chance that we are gonna have this conversation and not let the double minority that is on this show speak. Because look, you do a great job of, of managing our personalities and such. And I think a lot of people miss misread your importance to this show. Well, they're about to get it. So uh, the floor is yours. And I, I think you, you should let the world know who you really are and what you stand for. Bigly, because I want her to close. I want her to close. Chris just gave some, I've seen that. What he's talking about is fantastic. Everyone absolutely should do that. On the opposite side of that, if you are a minority, especially a African-American in this country, and you are on the page of voting doesn't matter, and it's all, you know, for show, you should, all, you should get on Netflix and watch a documentary called The Great Hack and understand yes. just how deep, just how thorough, just how precise certain people are willing to go to make sure that you don't vote or to make sure that your behavior is modified, to make sure that they are tricking you into manipulation. If you think, if you think it's not important,
people wouldn't be spending billions and billions of dollars to make sure you don't vote. So you go watch The Great Hack, and I will leave it with Ms. Well, to round that out, you know, I am a product of that. I'm a product of my vote didn't matter because that's what I thought. That's what I was brainwashed to believe in. I'm going to be brutally honest against myself. When I voted on Tuesday, that was the first time. First time ever. I'm 40 years old. And because I didn't think it mattered, and especially coming from California, one of a billion that live in a small state, or not small by any means, but in a, an isolated state, I was led to believe, even in my government class, that it wasn't going to make a difference. And that's where I should have learned that it did make a difference. You know, and it took having friends make me listen to what it meant, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, and having biracial children, you know, I do have to fight even more because they're not going to understand. And I had a very difficult conversation with my daughter this morning and, you know, she, she's very innocent, you know, and she'd been privileged enough to not have to be exposed to a lot of things that many of us were exposed to as, as, a, as a young child. And um, <clears throat> she said, well, why doesn't everybody just stand in solidarity? And I said, that's a great question. You know, and she asked, she said, you know, I, she understands what's going on currently and where we stand currently in regards to race. But she said, mom, did Asians ever get discriminated? You know, or was an Asian ever killed because of the way they looked? I said, absolutely. I said, and there are a lot of things that go unsaid. I said, but right now the focus is that it's everyone versus the races, you know? And it's, she, she only heard, because this is what she's seen, um, the whites and the blacks. And I said, babe, it's not that. Because in some places it's the blacks against the blacks and it's the whites against the whites. I said, so it's bigger than that. It's everyone against the races. And, you know, I just stand where I see the opportunities to quote unquote educate our friends and those around us as fellowship. You know, it's we spread so much good news when it's great to spread, but when it's bad news, we don't like to talk about it. And it's not my job to educate. It's not your job to educate, but it's your job to expose. As a human being, as a contributing society, we have to expose each other to our experiences, whether they be negative or positive. Um, and so it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know that a lot of my friends, regardless of shade, regardless of hue, are affected by something that isn't going to stop. We're not going to see the end of it. It's not going to end in our lifetimes. And it's, it's scary to think that because we are, almost, we are instant gratification. You know, we can't switch accounts to make something to go away. This isn't going to happen that way. You know, so it's, uh, it's unreal. It really is, and you know, having having this pick a scab of mine when I was a kid, I can't I can't empathize. I know what it felt like for me, but it did. I was never beat, you know, because of what it was like. I was definitely fought against and pushed away, and you know, whatever it may be. But I can't empathize, and I won't ever, because it's different. So all I can do is support, be there, help spread the good, and hopefully, you know, be that one person of change that starts that ripple effect in the water. And we can 
hopefully see some of this wash away, but not anytime soon. May I say one thing before we close? Absolutely. Um, over the last five months, we have seen this incredible effort to stop the spread of this awful virus. I would just like to see that same effort to stop this awful trend that's been going on for 400 years. That same energy. Same energy. Give me that same energy. Yeah. And then it might go away in our lifetime. Well said. Yep. Well, uh, everybody needs to breathe. Just take a yes, breath. Yes, we do. Exhale. Um, gentlemen, as always, thank you so much for your contributions and uh, our long distance runners. We hope we got you covered. <laughs> we answered some questions for you. Um, but without further ado, we will all reconvene next week and have some great, amazing topics to address. And um, everyone be safe. Be safe. Make good decisions. And remember, we're all fighting a fight for longevity. So thank you very Amen. much. See you soon. Be kind to each other. Peace. Don't call it a comeback. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. As well, we encourage you to connect with others and share the podcast on your social media. Looking forward to next time when we connect you with another great track and field connection. Bye, guys.